As we mentioned just briefly a moment ago, that in the parable that was before this one, that being the parable of the hidden treasure, we find that Jesus depicts the value of the kingdom to one who accidentally find it, finds it. That the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure that was hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he went and sold everything that he had in order that he might buy the field. And when we search the scriptures regarding all of the conversion stories, especially those that we find in the book of Acts, we find no greater example, as we've brought out from time to time, than that of a man named the Apostle Paul. There is no greater example of a man that was respected and honored and looked up to by his peers. Have you ever stopped to consider what exactly Paul gave up that he might serve Jesus Christ. You remember that this was a man that was looked up and looked upon by his peers as a man of great respect. He was, for sake of, the, of a better term, the very hired gun of the Sanhedrin when he would go out and he would persecute the church of God, and as he said, he wasted it. He was the one that was there when the martyr Stephen, the first one that would die for his faith in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, where the Bible says when this man Stephen was stoned to death, that those that threw those rocks at him to his death, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul of Tarsus obviously later became the Apostle Paul. He was a man that was persecuting and binding all that would call upon the name of the Lord. But all of a sudden, on one very special day, on one very special day in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, we find Luke's account of exactly what happened to this man. We know the story. I'll not go into it any further. All we know is that Jesus speaks to him. He blinds him with a blinding light. And all of a sudden, everything is about to change. All of his former values are about to go by the wayside. Things he thought that were important from time to time no longer are important. He took himself and his social standing and social status and he cast it aside to be one that would be beaten, one that would be persecuted all the days of his life. He would be one that would go and have an infirmity in the flesh described simply as a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, as the Bible says. Yes, he suffered much for the Lord. And later we find that he was beheaded for his faith. He gave up everything to obey Jesus. I want us to listen to the words of Paul as found in one of his letters in Philippians chapter 3, and we will read beginning there in verse number 4, but I want you to notice the assessment or exactly how Paul viewed the things that he must have given up to be a Christian. He said, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal persecuting the church touching righteousness which is in the law blameless but what things were gained to me those I counted loss for Christ 
Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. You know, also the Apostle Paul would say that in writing of the gospel of the glory of Christ, he would refer to it as a treasure. The Apostle Paul also said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, he said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. He considered the kingdom, considered it beyond a shadow of a doubt as a treasure and worth giving up all that he has, anything that is necessary in order that he might obtain it. He clearly understood that the kingdom was extremely valuable because the kingdom or in the kingdom we find that it is a refuge from the powers of darkness. It is a domain of righteousness. It is a domain of peace, joy, and safety. It is unshakable in itself. And finally, the Apostle Paul knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that one who is in the kingdom and remains there is destined for eternal glory. Well, Jesus gave that parable that Paul fits in and then at that time, and then he gives the one that we're going to discuss from now on during the course of this study, and that is the pearl of great price. Here's the fellow that's looking for it. You know, I would imagine if you talk to people, I do, everyone talks to folks, sometimes people look in their life and they think something's missing. You know, every walk of life, there's someone that has something in their life that is just not right, something that is missing or something that is lacking. There's a lot of folks, I know a lot of folks, or can read about a lot of folks and so on. Howard Hughes, for example, a man that was a billionaire, but something was missing. Money couldn't buy all of the happiness in the world. And you know what happened when he died? What we find with Howard Hughes, very uh, shamefully and very sad, he died with his fingernails, with inches-long corkscrews. He died with rotting teeth and a sunken chest. He died a billionaire junkie, a drug addict. Something was missing. Something was missing that all the money in the world, all the fame in the world, all the power in the world could not buy. Jesus pictures, though, that there's a man, and he calls him a merchant man. This is a man that's in the, for sake of a better term, let's just say he's in the pearl business. You know, I would just imagine in my mind's eye, as Jesus pictures this merchant man, I can picture that he has all manner of pearls with all manner of price tags. Oh, perhaps he found some that didn't cost very much, and then maybe he cost, uh, uh, others cost him quite a lot. I don't know. All I know is, is Jesus pictures this man as an individual that has 
pearls. That is his life business. And then all of a sudden, something happens. And the reason something happens is his eyes were open. He was looking for something that was greater. And the Bible says that that which is greater was the pearl of great price. You know what's very interesting to me as I look at this parable? This man does not do what most of us would do in a similar situation. You know, if I'm a coin collector, and I'm not, I don't, know the, I don't know the first thing about coins. But just say, for example, I'm a coin collector. I would imagine that I would spend my life and I would purchase various coins. And as I got more and more coins, my treasure, if you will, or my, uh, my, uh, my hobby would grow and the price or the value of it would grow also as I added coins to it. I would just imagine if I liked coins or that was something that was of interest to me, that if I came across one that was priceless or one that was of great value, I wouldn't do what this man did. I would imagine if that is my hobby, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to keep what I have and then mortgage whatever's necessary or figure out a way that I might be able to come up with the resources in order that I might buy this priceless or this very expensive coin. I'll tell you what I probably wouldn't do if that's my hobby or my business. It's not even a good business decision. I wouldn't sell all of them or trade all of them because before I had all of these and here is one. Chances are I'm not going to give up all of those in order that I might obtain just one coin. So understanding that, that is the picture that Jesus portrays about this man. He said, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a merchant man, a man that had spent his life collecting and having these very valuable pearls. All of a sudden, he comes across one that is of great price, of great value. You know what he does? He sells it all. He gives it all up. All of a sudden, every one of those other pearls and all of his other possessions, all of a sudden, don't mean a thing. The only thing that means anything is, how can I get that one? But this fellow found this pearl because this fellow was looking for that pearl. And I hope we all understand, as I'm sure we do, we're not talking about pearls tonight. Jesus is picturing in this parable. You know what a parable is? A parable is laying alongside. In other words, you take something that you know about and you lay it alongside something you don't know about. You can compare and you can understand the illustration and therefore Jesus gave this sermon in these two verses about this man, about the kingdom of heaven. But you know, I think what most people want to do, though, is figure out how they can keep all the old things, too. I think that's what a lot of people do today with regards to the Lord. They want all the benefits of the kingdom. They want the benefits of forgiveness. They want all of those things. They want an inheritance in heaven. And by the way, I don't know if I made this statement here or at another place in a sermon. I don't remember. So if I have made it here, bear with me. But let me just say this. 
I don't care what people in the world say with regards to satanic rituals and satanic things and they don't believe in God and all that and they don't want to go to heaven and certain affiliations that believe in, in uh, that, that heaven is not a place that you want to go, that you want to be on this earth. If a person really understood and a person can really grasp what heaven is all about and not just that, but have an understanding of the opposite of that and the alternative is an eternity in hell and know what hell is all about, I'm going to tell you something. There's not a person in this world that has that understanding that doesn't want to go to heaven. If you really knew about hell and you really came to the understanding that there's only two places, there's heaven and there's hell. And both places, regardless of where you end up, it's for eternity and it will never change. You will never leave that state. If a person really understood that and really could grasp that, there's nobody in this world that would want to go to hell for all eternity. But you know, I think sometimes people want to hold on to the world and have the beautiful things that heaven, of heaven that's pictured in the scriptures at the same time. Jesus so beautifully pictures this merchant man had a different attitude because this man, when he found that pearl of the greatest value, he was willing without reservation to get rid of all that he had in order that he might obtain it. He was undeterred by the price. Now, do you remember a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, we talked about counting the cost. The parable that Jesus portrayed about counting the cost. You remember Jesus said this, that a man is in the kingdom is likened to a man that builds a tower. And this man is to sit down first and count the cost to see whether he has sufficient to finish it. You remember also what Jesus said. Jesus said if you don't love or you don't hate your father and your mother and all of that, you cannot be my disciple. We talked about what that meant. Jesus was not teaching hate. We know that Jesus is the very epitome of love. What Jesus was saying there, that word hate means to love less. All Jesus was saying is this, unless you love less, everybody in this world and everything in this world, you cannot, that word cannot means impossible, okay? It's impossible to be my disciple. Sometimes we get deterred by the price, but we can't. Jesus said, if you love father and mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. Well, let's notice the meaning of this parable really quickly. In this parable, we find that the person that's described here represents someone who is on a mission to find that which is of the greatest value. He believes that there is something out there that's worth looking for or he would not be seeking it. And when he finds it, he does without reservation, immediately recognizing its value, he's willing to sell all that he has in order that he might obtain it. Notice, though, I think this is important for us to understand at this time because we're talking about buying and selling, and Jesus is referring or making reference to the kingdom of heaven or salvation. So let me clarify this point really quickly. Jesus was not suggesting in this parable, nor was he suggesting in the parable just prior to this, that a person can buy his salvation. Because the Bible says 
It is a gift. It is a gift, and it's a gift from God. I won't just leave it there. We'll explain it a little bit further. First of all, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, Paul said this. Very interesting how Paul pictured this by divine inspiration. And by the way, nothing that you can read about in the Bible is for the purpose of taking up space. There's a reason for every single thing that is written in this grand old book. And it is God-breathed. It is God's will. It is God's words. It is God's way. Keeping that in mind, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote this to Rome. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, Paul said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a difference between wages of sin and gift of salvation. Notice very briefly and very, uh, very simply. If I go out and I work for a man for a certain wage, for a certain amount of hours, and we agree upon that, as long as I perform that task or that duty, he owes me a livable wage. He owes me specifically what he agreed to pay me. I can earn that. Anybody that's ever worked for a dime knows that. You put the time in, you do your job task, it is owed to you. That's what it's like in reference to sin. Now, if you live in sin, and you don't get sin out of your life, and by the way, sin is reigning in a person's life because of two things. Number one, because the blood of Jesus has not been applied at baptism, that person is still in sin. Because baptism is what takes away the sin. It's what washes our sins away. But also, for the one that's the backslider, for the one that refuses to live in accordance with God's word, for the one who is guilty that Jesus talked about of loving other things in this world more than loving Jesus. And by the way, the reason for that, if you love other things more than you love Jesus, the reason that that's a problem is because the things that you decide to do, the choices you make, the decisions you make will reflect that. And Jesus said, I will be number one. Jesus also would say that if he's number one, then in essence, all of the decisions that we make in our life will prove and demonstrate by obedient works our faith. Let's go a little step further, though. In understanding this idea very simply. First of all, we talk about wages of sin. I go out and I sin. I have what's coming to me. You know that little phrase, that little saying, he got what's coming to him? That's kind of what it's like when you go out and sin. You have to reap the benefit of that or the lack thereof. I go out and I sin and I reject the teachings that are found in the gospel and my life does not coincide with what's taught to me there. I've got what's coming to me and I better just take it because that's what's coming. Death, spiritual death for all eternity. But I can't go to God in that last and final day before the judgment seat of Christ and say, look, look what I've done. Here's the checklist of all of the good deeds that I've done. Therefore, I have earned my salvation. That's not how that works. Paul said salvation is a gift 
of God. But what about my obligation to work? A lot of times folks say, you see, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. How does this all work? Real quick now. We are saved by grace through faith. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. That just simply means that I can't do enough good deeds to warrant or merit or deserve the grace of God. That's what that means. But it doesn't remove me from my responsibility to demonstrate my faith by my obedient works, as James said. If I don't work, if I don't obey, if I don't perfect my faith, and that's what the Bible says, we are seen, our faith is seen by the way we demonstrate that faith, by our works. You can't go to heaven without works. But... I believe with all of my heart that a person doesn't fall in and out of salvation based upon their works in terms of, I've done good today, I've earned good, so I'm in grace. Tomorrow I do bad, so I'm outside of salvation because I've not done enough good. No, I believe we fall in and out of grace. Because by the grace of God, we have the gift of salvation. If we don't work, we fall from grace. You know, it is only then that we have this grace, though, is when we submit to the working of God in our lives, which takes place when we're baptized into Christ. Colossians chapter 2 and verses 11 through 13, Paul said, "...in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ." Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. When are you forgiven your trespasses? we got to do something about this sin. Because of all the things in the world that have caused a person to be lost, did you know that there's only one thing in this whole world that will keep you out of heaven? Only one. And that's sin. If sin's in your life, you've got to get rid of it. You get rid of it by being washed in the blood of Jesus. And that's done at baptism. Then we must stay with our obedient works in grace all the days of our life. You know, in this parable, it describes how some people react to the kingdom of heaven when they know there must be something out there that's worthy of great value and have been searching for it. You know, I'm looking very much forward to 2007 and going to the Philippines. I'm really looking forward to that. Because I'll tell you something, sometimes we get carried away with all the hustle and bustle and modernization and 
riches and so on. And sometimes it's challenging. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we have to go to foreign lands to save folks because I don't believe that at all. I believe that there's folks to save right here. I believe that there's folks to save, period, or the Lord would come back. I've always believed that. I still do. But it's going to be wonderful to see folks that have nothing, but they're searching for something better. And all of a sudden, they hear in the Bible. They hear in the gospel. It's told to them. They can have a mansion on a hilltop one day. They can live in a place with a street of pure gold. They can go to a place and be part of an institution, being the church, that they don't have to have social standing or social status. Nobody cares about how much money they have. No one's looking at their credentials. The only thing they've got to have is a good and an honest heart, and that's all. And they have to have a willingness to serve God. And that's it. And that person does that, is baptized for the remission of his or her sins, and then lives according to God's will. They're going to that place in heaven one day. You know, there's some wonderful Bible examples of how there were individuals that were searching and looking for something better looking for the truth. Many examples in the scriptures about that. But you know what's very interesting about these people, unlike Paul, Paul was not looking. Paul stumbled across it. But there was others that were looking for the truth. They were searching God's word. They were doing something religiously that they were trying to be better or find better or do better. Notice, very familiar story, I'll not go into it, but the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. I'll just say this. You know, we know the story. We know that Philip the evangelist went there and preached unto him Jesus. We know he obeyed the gospel. We know they came to a body of water. We know they went down into the water. We know that he was baptized. We know that his sins were washed away that day. And after he was baptized for the remission of his sins, he went on his way rejoicing, and the Spirit caught away Philip that he saw him no more. Now, there was no rejoicing before baptism. Rejoicing only happened after they both came up out of the water. Saying all that to say this. You know, this man was going, or he went to Jerusalem to worship. He went to Jerusalem to worship under the old law. That is a religious move or religious act. In fact, when the angel of the Lord sent Philip to him, you remember what he was doing? He was sitting in his chariot reading the word of God. He was reading from the prophet Isaiah. He was looking for something that was better. We find also that his immediate desire to be baptized shows his estimation of the value of the salvation offered through Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes folks say, well, being a good person's enough. I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. I know some wonderful people that I dearly love, but they're lost according to God's word. Because their own goodness is not going to save them. Their obedience is what will save them. Great example. We know when the church was established in Acts 2, 
that the Jews were first converted. The gospel went to the Jews. We know that. In Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were saved or added to the apostles on that day as the first of the church. We go all the way till Acts 10, and no Gentiles were converted before that time. Do you remember a man named Cornelius? This was a good man. This was a wonderful man. In fact, he prayed to God always and gave much alms to the people. That's wonderful things, isn't it? Aren't those good things? Those are good works. But you know, his goodness, his good deeds, and his things that he was doing in his life while he was in error, they weren't enough to save him. But he was praying. He was looking for what was right. He genuinely wanted to do that which was right. So the Lord sent Peter to him to tell him what he must do. And he told him words, much like Philip told the Ethiopian eunuch on that chariot that day. And he was baptized too for the remission of his sins. You know, this coincides with the promise of Jesus as found on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. You remember what Jesus said? He said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. God took note of his spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst and sent Peter to take the gospel to him. Lydia is also another occurrence that we find in the book of Acts, the 16th chapter, and verses 11 through 15. We find that she was converted too. But what we find is her meeting with other women to pray illustrates she was searching spiritually. And upon hearing the things that were spoken by Paul, she and her household were baptized. Yes, these are examples in the scriptures that should remind us that people are looking for something. People are looking for some purpose. They're looking for some meaning out there that's worth diligent search. And there are those that are willing to, when they find it, to turn their back on whatever is necessary in order to have it. You know, uh, I said this not too long ago. One of the greatest challenges I think it is, is to know sometimes what to say as not only a preacher but a Christian to others to try to instill in them the importance of putting the Lord first. It's difficult sometimes. It's challenging. I often wonder when we preach on stuff like that, I often wonder what goes through the mind of the listener. Now, I'll tell you this. I can sure see how a person would want to turn me off. I could see that right off the bat. But I can't see someone turning their ear or turning a deaf ear to Jesus who said, I will be number one in your life. And if you want to go to heaven, you make me number one. I can't understand how someone would turn from those words from him. Well, you know, I'll just tell you this. I'm so thankful that my father was one who was diligently searching for the truth. He was. I don't know how many years it was. I was either a little boy or even before I was born. My dad was searching for answers. He was searching for the truth. And what he would do is, he would go and compare certain doctrines and teachings to the Bible. Simple as that. 
He didn't have someone standing there telling him. He was comparing it to God's Word. And all of a sudden, one day, he found the Lord's church. And I remember something that was, I remember this like it was yesterday. I was a little fella. And I remember in 1973, I remember standing outside a church building on a Sunday morning. I remember a preacher came up to my father and said, Don't you think it's time? Don't you think it's time to obey the gospel? Don't you think it's time to be baptized for the remission of your sins? My dad said, he says, well, I'm coming around. I'll, I'll get there. And this fellow looked him dead straight in the eye and says, no, you're there. You need to go to heaven. You need your sins washed away, and you need to do it right now. My father and my mother obeyed the gospel that day. My sisters followed shortly thereafter. When my sister Louise, who's married to Brett Hickey that you all know, on the same day, we obeyed the gospel together. I'm going to tell you something. I'm standing before you today because my father was searching. I'm not putting the emphasis or the, uh, the credit to my father. I'm putting the credit to what Jesus said. He says, if you look for it, you'll find it. Period. The providence of God will make it so. If you want the truth, you will find it. That's beautiful to me. Because all that means is we got to be people that are searching for what's right. We need to be searching for the pearl of great price. Let's notice really quickly as we draw our lesson to a close, how did they search? That's very important. How did these people in the scriptures search for that pearl of great price? We find with the Ethiopian eunuch, he became a student of the Bible. You know what else? We find also that he applied the scriptures to the best of his understanding. He was open to what Philip, the evangelist, had to say concerning these scriptures. You remember also those Bereans as evidenced in Acts 17 and verses 10 and 11. You remember Paul said they were more noble than those of Thessalonica. You know why? Because with readiness of mind, they received the word gladly. That's what they did. But they didn't just leave it there. Paul praised them. Paul praised them. You know why? They didn't just take his word for it. They went home and they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. That's what a person has to do in seeking out the Lord. That's what a person needs to do in their life. But also apply diligence. That is readiness of mind to grasp what others are saying about God's word. But here's number three, because I just said about others, speaking of God's word. It is God's plan that we preach the gospel to the lost. That's true. I want you to notice, though, in the end, let the scriptures and the scriptures only be final authority. Demonstrate that. Demonstrate that by your respect for God's word, by searching the scriptures daily to see if these things were so like the Ethiopian eunuch, like those at Berea, like Cornelius, like Lydia, and many other religious people. It is possible to be lost in the present state that we are in, and it is, uh, it is possible to be lost in our present understanding of God's Word. So let's search the Scriptures. Let's find out exactly what's found in God's Word for us. Let's seek after that pearl of great price. 
And then when we find it, let's be willing to part with all that we have, if necessary, in order to obtain it. You know, I would just imagine, because we don't have trials today, I, it's almost embarrassing to say that we have trials compared to those that we read about in the New Testament. Oh, I think probably the, oh, the hardest thing ever, I guess, said to me was somebody laughed at me. No one's ever beat me for serving the Lord. They've made fun of me for doing it. I remember when I was growing up going to rodeos, I remember if Sunday rolled around, we'd turn my steer out and I wouldn't be there. I remember. I remember them making fun of me. Big deal. That's it. It's about the worst it gets right there. I remember also there was a young man. My dad baptized from, from my high school. He's about four years younger than than I was, and uh, well, I am, and at the time, I was graduating, and he was a freshman. I remember this like it was yesterday. His family said this, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful that he went to, sh to church and went to services on a regular basis. That was wonderful until he wanted to obey the gospel and take a stand for what was right. Until he wanted to get baptized, and you know what they told him? They told this young man, the grandparents who had a lot of wealth looked him dead straight in the eye and said, if you get baptized, you're out of the will. You know what this little fellow said? Leave me out. He was willing to turn his back on whatever. Because I'll tell you something, if you know about heaven and you know where the alternative is, there's nothing in this world that's more important. I wonder if we could ask the Apostle Paul that was beheaded, if we could ask Peter who was crucified upside down, if we could speak to Stephen tonight that was stoned, or even Polycarp that was burned at the stake. Before he was a judge to the flames, they tried to get him to reject Jesus Christ, and he said, 80 and 6 years have I served him, and he's never done me wrong. How could I possibly do it now? How could I possibly reject my Lord and Master that saved me? I bet you if we could talk to every one of those tonight, which we can't, they would say it was worth it all. One more thing, and I'm going to quit. Sometimes Christians, though, find the pearl, but they don't realize the value of it. Let me illustrate it this way. There was a man about 20 years ago. They call him a rock hound. That's just a funny way of saying he liked rocks and this guy what he would do is he would go out on various digs and he would dig into the earth and come up with various types of rocks he would take them to collectors or even jewelry makers and he would sell them and they would take those stones those rocks and they would do whatever with them well one day about 20 years ago this fella he goes on this dig, and he comes up with a blue rock that he simply refers as a hunk of blue. That was it. He thought, you know, this is kind of pretty. Weighs about a pound. Looks pretty nice. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. See, he didn't know the real value of it because he would leave that to those that would do that for a living. The appraisers would do that. But he looked at it and thought, I, I would imagine this has some value. He put a price tag on it of $500 and tried to sell it. Not knowing what it was, 
He just tried to sell it for $500. Well, being in this business, he loved this business, had a little store doing this. He loved the business, but it didn't always pay the bills. So he thought this, I've always got that blue rock. I want $500, but if I have to pay the PG&E bill or whatever, I'll just lower the price. He never could sell it. So he cast it into a closet or under his bed, and it stayed there for two decades. Good thing, though. Good thing it was never sold, because what he did is he almost hawked for a few hundred dollars what turned out to be the largest and most valuable sapphire ever found. He abandoned that sapphire to the darkness of his closet for a sapphire that's called the Star of David, and it's worth $2.75 million. Don't we do that sometimes, though? I don't want to trivialize the church, but sometimes we do that. We find the pearl, but we don't know what we found. And the reason is, is because we've not placed the value on it that is rightful for it to have. How is it with you tonight? Have you found the pearl of great price? The idea that we need to understand is a person is saved when they hear the word of God, believe in Jesus for whom he is as the son of God. When they repent of their past life and make the determination, I no longer am going to head in the direction that I've been heading. I'm going to make a change. It's kind of like this merchant man. I'll give it all up for the Lord because I know that if I do that, I'm going to be saved. And then we confess the name of Jesus as the son of God. That is very simple. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's all. And then, baptized for the remission of our sins. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.